0: Great. Cheers, Ben. Yes, so grab a Bible, um, either in the physical form or on a device. We need to turn to Matthew chapter 25, and we're looking at verses 31 to 46. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Uh, And this is the parable of the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart To eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, wow, what a, an incredible passage that is. I don't know about you, but it reminds me uh, of going way back as a child, hearing that parable uh, in Sunday school. Now, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you'll know that two weeks ago we looked at the parable of the ten virgins, a parable about being ready for Christ's return. Then last week, we looked at the parable parable of the talents, how we are called to steward what God has given us for his glory while we wait for the return of Jesus. And here, in this parable of the sheep and the goats, uh, we're in the last of Jesus' parables. And it is also about the return of Jesus and how he will return as judge of all. Now, contrary to what we were perhaps taught Um, as a child, this parable is primarily not about sheep and goats, the good and the bad. This actually is quite an unhelpful reading of the parable, that only the sheep are the good ones and the goats are the bad ones. Actually, goats are pretty good things. They have good qualities. They breed quicker, which can be a good thing. They're easier to keep, and they produce larger quantities of milk. But rather, this parable is all about separation. You see, the reference to sheep and the goats is quite simply an appropriate example of distinct separation for the disciples at the time. If you like, oranges and lemons, apples and pears to us today. So what this parable is about is judgment. And who is the judge? Jesus. He is the one who will do the separating at the end of time. Now this is uh, the last of the three parables about the end of time. And this one is telling us all about Jesus coming back as judge. And there, there are four things I'd love us uh, to get out of this passage together today. The first thing is this, that Jesus is returning. It's going to happen. Secondly, I'd like us to explore the sheep who represent those who are saved. Thirdly, the goats, those who are on the the other side who aren't saved. And fourthly and lastly, what does this mean for you and I today? So let's look at the first thing, that Jesus actually is returning. Now, if you think about it, someone needs to judge. We only need to look at our society today to understand that we need someone to judge. Sports requires referees, court cases require juries and judges and even for me and my wife Rach, one of us quite often most days needs to take the place of the judge in our household when our two girls begin screaming at over 100 decibels. We have to Act as judge quite often. And if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we find ourselves judging others even when we don't realize it. Whether that's about someone's appearance, their race, their class, religion, intelligence, abilities, whatever, we often find ourselves doing it even when we don't realize. But the reality is that for us, our lives will be judged. At the end of time. And this will have eternal consequences. Let's take a look at verse 31 in this passage. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's Jesus, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So he is the one, Jesus is the one who will judge us sitting on the throne, and he is a fair judge. Now, Scripture is full of references and pictures of judgment and what that is going to look like and how it's going to take place. We only have to look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. It says this, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fallen us and hide from us, from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Wow. You see, all people, kings, queens, the poor, the lowly, will be judged. And on Judgment Day, I might well be stood there next to Queen Elizabeth II on one side and my greatest enemy on the other side. Psalm 75, verse 7 says, It is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. Now what we do know from this passage, if you take a look at verse 32, is that everyone will be gathered. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 33, everyone is going to be judged. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. You see, Jesus is judge of all. Now let's be real for a moment. If all this talk about the end times and judgment day fills us with fear, then fear not. The great evangelist Billy Graham, uh, he once said this, Bible teaching about the second coming of Christ was once thought of as a doomsday preaching, but not anymore. It is the only ray of hope that shines as an ever brightening beam in a darkening world. Why? Why is it light in an ever-darkening world? Well, in order for us to begin to understand this, we need to look at the sheep. And the sheep represent the ones who are saved. Let's take a look at verses 35 to 36. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. A stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now here's a question. Does this parable teach us that good works will save us? No, as a child discovering uh, this parable at Sunday school, I thought it was all about doing good things, being a good person, loving my neighbor. And in doing all of these things, I was serving Jesus. Of course, all of these things are good, but they don't save us. Only Jesus can save us. And this parable teaches us that our salvation is by grace and grace alone. You see what that means is it's nothing that we have done. But it's all about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And this is amazing news. This is the gospel of Jesus. That he himself took the punishment and pain of a sinful world. My sin. And he suffered and he died on the cross. And God, in his great wisdom, judged Jesus in our place. So, what does this mean for you and for I? Well, for those of us who believe and trust in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, We no longer have to live lives full of guilt and fear as slaves to the consequences of our shortcomings, either of what we've done in the past or what we will do in the future. That's why the gospel of Jesus is good news for us, because Jesus has taken all of that for us to the cross. You see, one of the prophets, Isaiah, in the Old Testament, he wrote hundreds of years before Jesus even came to earth as a, ba- as a baby. He said this. Yet yeah, in our weakness, he carried, it was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins he was beaten so we could be made whole he was whipped so we could be healed all of us like sheep have strayed away we have left God's path to follow our own yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all This is incredible. This was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus even set foot on earth. This is what he has done for you and for me. You see, it was meant to be. And like I said before, we all need a judge. Judgment needed to take place. But God, in his great mercy and compassion for me and for you, sent his son Jesus to endure the punishment and pay the penalty for our sins, which was death on a cross so that we don't have to. And so judgment, yes, is going to happen. And let's be real about it. It's an appointment that none of us will be able to miss. And no matter how much we think our personal life circumstances excuse us from judgment, there will be no escape from it. However, there is good news for those who believe and trust in Jesus. So the question is, so then, how do we make sure we are on the right side when that time comes? How do we make sure that we are saved? How do we know? Well, let's take a look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Just think about that verse for a moment. Inheritance. It's prepared for you, even before the creation of the world. Now, what do we do in order to inherit something? Do we have to be good? No. Is it by being perfect? No. You see, we don't have to do things in order for us to earn our salvation. We quite simply... Inherit our salvation by being in the family of God. You see, our inheritance has been prepared for us since the beginning of time. That is mind blowing. And it's all of ours if we choose to accept it. Wow, just think about that for a moment. That means that as inheritance, inheritors, we are children. We're children of God. We are heirs of everything that belongs to God. Can now be ours. And this is life changing truth with eternal consequences. And what have we done to earn it? Absolutely nothing. Yet we can all choose to accept our inheritance today. And here's the thing. We choose to do good things out of the response of being saved. This is our response. It's our offering. It's our worship to God who gave everything to us. And we choose to give back to God these things by living a holy life of good works. And interestingly, if we look at verse 37. He says the righteous are actually surprised that they are doing good work. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you? The king simply replies, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Why were they surprised? Surprised because doing good things wasn't their driver. You see, doing good things wasn't their natural response to being an inheritor, a child of God. It, it was through a relationship of Jesus. That's how it came. That wasn't their motivation to do good things. It was out of response of knowing Jesus. You see, when we accept Jesus into our lives we've already received the great reward of eternal life. So there's no need to pretend to ourselves that our good works will contribute to our own salvation because it doesn't. Yet when we do that, it it just becomes exhausting and it becomes all about us and not about him. You see, we love others because he first loved us. And it's an overflow of being a child of God. And what I find interesting personally is seeing how quickly the king said to those on his right, come and take your inheritance. How come? Well, on this day of judgment, there will be no opportunity to plead. Jesus will judge in an instant because he already knows those who belong to him. It's as simple as that. So the question for all of us today is are we children of God? Are we inheritors? Will we be on the right side of judgment? Because what's the alternative? Well, to know the alternative to this amazing passage and this truth, we need to turn and look at the goats. This is my third point. The goats are those on the side who aren't saved. Let's take a look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, the only way to inherit eternal eternal life is to become a child of God by faith and grace alone. The Apostle John says in chapter 1, verses 11 to 12, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all those who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So we need to accept Jesus. That's what we need to do to avoid being on the wrong side of judgment. You see, the goats represent the people who have been doing good, good things, but alone, they're not enough. And in fact, we only have to look, they too are surprised. But because they falsely expected that they would be enough. Now, friends, this is chilling stuff. Because we will stand beside people who we know, people whom we love, on the day of judgment. It has the potential to be awful. Friends will be separated from friends. Loved ones from loved ones. I mean, this hits home, doesn't it? And this should propel us into responding. You see, our good and our righteous works alone are not enough to save us. Here's the thing, the people on the left did good things but because of their unwillingness to accept the most outrageous act of generosity ever shown from King Jesus, they're separated from him. We must accept Jesus Christ. Again, the prophet Isaiah gives this strong and powerful image of of what good works looks like without faith, what that means to God. And he says this, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Church, religiosity cannot save us. No matter how much we try and save ourselves by our own acts. Judgment will reveal how selfish and self-righteous people are. And judgment will consist of a great sifting of the valuable and worthless things we've done on earth. You know, we all need a saviour. And if we think about it, every generation that has gone before us has looked for a saviour, whether that is in someone or something. And even now in these days, yes, we're longing and we're praying for a, a vaccine to COVID. It's absolutely necessary and it's good and we should Be praying for this. This is part of God's healing power here on earth. We believe in it. But guess what? It's not our saviour. It won't be our saviour. But there's great news for those who believe and trust in Jesus, who is saviour. And the good news is that we are saved. Saved into eternity. So let me ask us. What does this mean for us today? Well, firstly... I found this quite hard hitting, this parable, exploring it and understanding the consequences of not trusting in Jesus. It's difficult truth. But we need to repent and believe in Jesus. It's not enough to know God just in our heads, we must know Him with our hearts. He longs to be in relationship with us. And that's the same for those whom we love, our friends and our family. So let me challenge you today if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ, then what are you waiting for? Don't hang on. It's the best thing you can do today to secure your eternal inheritance and so I'd love to invite you if you're listening to this today and you've not yet given your your life to Jesus you've not wholeheartedly said yes Jesus I believe and trust in you and I want to be on the right side of judgment on that final day then I want to invite you to say this simple prayer with me in your heart wherever you are now and receive Jesus and your inheritance so if that's you let's pray Lord Jesus Christ I need you and this is for all of us as well we need you I want you. I know I am a sinner. I am sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And wash my sins away by your blood. I believe you, Jesus, are God in the flesh. And that you were raised from the dead to life. And now I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. I give you my life. Come and be with me forever. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to celebrate with you. We'd love to support and encourage you in your journey with Jesus, let us know either on the chat or send us a, a message, an email, hello at stthomas.church. It's the best thing you will ever do. Being a child of God. Secondly, you know, we've all seen, haven't we, that this passage has spoken to us about grace, that salvation only comes through the grace of Jesus, that undeserved favour. Now, does that mean that we, because of that, we don't have to do anything? No, of course it doesn't. Because our, our works, the things we choose to put our hands to in life, are all in response to the grace of Jesus. And it's not about gaining credit for ourselves. You see, the word Christian, the identity that we as believers in Jesus give ourselves, it actually means little Christ. And so we're called to be little Christs in the world today, to be little Jesuses in Newcastle and beyond In our schools, in our colleges, universities, in our workplaces, in our homes. In verses 40 and 45, the language of the least of these is used: brothers and sisters. This is family, you see, we're all part of this together. And you see what happens when we give our life to Jesus Christ is that his blood draws us closer to one another as brothers and sisters. And that naturally our response is that we care for one another. We make sure that those who are hungry don't go hungry. We make sure that the thirsty have something to drink and those without clothes have something to put on their backs. This comes naturally in response to knowing Jesus. The great saint, Mother Teresa, she, she often had people go out and spend some time with her in Calcutta working with the poor. And she used to welcome that, but she always used to ask them, did you see Jesus today? You see, it wasn't about doing just a good thing and having the feel good factor we do it because we serve Jesus Christ and we are little Christ and that's why we as a church here at St. Thomas's that's why we we're, we're praying we're seeking God's direction as to how we can do that best here in this city we're called to be a church that loves Newcastle. One example is tomorrow night where, as we've already mentioned, is we're having an information and prayer evening about Eden in collaboration with Eden at the Message Trust. Because we believe that we're called as brothers and sisters to, to be present in places that need to know the love of Jesus Christ in all kinds of ways the response of knowing Jesus and loving Jesus is to naturally love and care for others now remember we don't do these things to earn Jesus' love but it's all about responding to it But if you love Jesus, your response will be to love the least of these. Because that that is exactly what Jesus has done for you and for me. And so, the parable of the sheep and the goats. We must live our lives distinctly aware that one day it will be judgment day. So we must live a life telling others of what Jesus has done for us and in Jesus there's mercy and when we accept him into our lives the most natural thing is that we become more loving and more kind and that's exactly what the world it comes like: You see, our world doesn't need us to be its savior. It needs Jesus, the one whom we serve. So where will we be on Judgment Day? That's a question we can only answer ourselves. Amen.